podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Matthew chapter 6, if you would open your Bibles uh, there, if you have hard copies, if you have a phone, open that up and we will get to it. I'm going to read just the first section of this, a short prayer, and then we will get right into it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, as Pastor Aaron already prayed, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the wonderful things that you have for us in your word. God, let us leave here not just as hearers of the word, but as doers of it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So if you don't know this, Jesus is a wild man. He really is a wild man. I've heard it said once that Jesus is an enigma, and I had to look up what enigma meant, but it meant he's perplexing, he's confusing. What you expect him to do, he doesn't do. What you would not expect him to do, he does. And he's an enigma, he's perplexing, he's a wild man to all kinds of people that he comes across as we read the Gospels. To tax collectors, to prostitutes, to priests, to pastors, to men, to women, to the old, to the young, to the rich, to the poor. As it's said of people, loved or hated... Certain types of people are never ignored. Jesus was never, ever ignored. The prostitutes couldn't ignore him, and the religious leaders, the priests and the pastors, couldn't ignore him. Some loved him, some hated him, but he was never, ever ignored. Jesus taught over and over and over again to the point of disruption. He taught over and over and over again to the point of disruption. He would always go deeper so that he could ultimately disrupt all who heard. Just so you know, nobody ever felt comfortable around Jesus in the midst of his teaching. Ever. He was always calling a spade a spade, and he was always saying, and it's actually worse than you think. But he'd also say this but it's far better than you could ever imagine. It's worse than you think, but it's far better than you could ever imagine. In this section that we get at today, and this is what Jesus does all the time, he really puts forth a sieve. If you don't know what a sieve is, if you think about walking into a kitchen and that thing that you're going to do, many things play out as a sieve, but a spaghetti strainer is a sieve. You put it out, you want the water out, you want the spaghetti to stay. I like cold brew coffee, so if you put the coffee grounds in one of those bags, it functions as a sieve, because I don't want the grounds in my coffee, so it holds them together and it leaves the coffee. 
Jesus puts forth a teaching to put a sieve in front of us for all of the right deeds we do. We'd call them righteous deeds, these that we think, things that we think in the world, whether you're a believer in here, you're a Christian, or you're not. The things you do that you think are really good, he puts them before you as a sieve and basically said, what I want to leave at the end is your motivation and your intention. Because there's all kinds of people out here who can do the right thing, And then in the end, because of your motive and because of your intention, because of our motive, because of our intention, it in the end not be right at all. That's what Jesus is going to do. And he starts in verse 1 and he says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them. For if you do it like that, whatever it may be, you've received your reward already. And you will receive no reward from your Father who's in heaven. So that verse is what he then lays out. And he lays out what it would look like in giving to the poor. He lays it out in what it looks like in prayer. And he lays it out in what it looks like in fasting. But here's the way we're going to play out today's message for you all to remember it. It's in 2, 4, 1. So do this with me. Hold up a 2. 2, 4, 1. Here's the first thing. He presents two ways of righteousness. One is righteousness, quote unquote. The other one is legitimate, bold, real righteousness. There's two ways to pursue righteousness. One's real, one's not. The next thing is the four-dimensional effect to which way of righteousness you pursue. Okay, Two ways of righteousness, real and not. Four effects, four-dimensional effect. And then the last thing is one divinely designed way to accomplish righteousness, to experience righteousness, to portray righteousness. So let's get at it. There are two ways to be righteous. There are two ways to be righteous that are very clearly laid out in this section in Matthew chapter 6. There's the way of self-righteousness, and the way of real, God-centered, God-powered righteousness. So it's real simple. There's two ways. The way of self, which isn't real. It's fake. It's not even well-intended. It's self-intended, and it flops. Then there's God-established, God-ordained, God-empowered righteousness. What Jesus is going at is our motivation and intention. So if you didn't know already, we're in the NFL football season, right? You can see it. People are wearing jerseys. People are dying. Like, why am I in church? I want to be watching the Cardinals, right? And don't tell me, right? Don't tell me what the score of the game is. And they're plugging their ears. And there's a bunch of people who just got DirecTV for the first time. And there's a lot of ways people pitched to get DirecTV for the first time if you can get it. There's people all over our city that at this moment, folks walking in, men walking in going, hey, babe, I think we should get DirecTV. You know, you're home a lot with the kids, and the kids would love to watch these shows that are on, and we could get it. We could pay the money. And she's like, gosh, that's so thoughtful of you. And then you're on the phone with DirecTV, and you're like, yeah, and by the way, add NFL Sunday tickets, right? right? Okay, you know that'll be $250, and you're like, yeah, do it anyways. We'll figure it out. Somehow we'll figure it out. But at the end of the day, you go, was the intention of getting DirecTV really your wife and the kids? Or was it 
NFL Sunday ticket. So we act all the time in ways that may look good, may look like service. But at the core, at the core, 100% could be selfish. And Jesus gives us these pictures, these pictures that everybody would agree, oh, those are righteous actions, giving to the needy. But he says here, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet, verse 2, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So are they giving to the needy for the needy? Or are they giving to the needy for the praise of others? When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites who pray standing in eloquent language. Don't pray like them who pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you fast, man, nobody fasts anymore. Fasting? What is fasting? When you fast, don't walk into a room looking tired and somber and gray, and hungry, and thirsty, that everybody looks around and goes, oh, they must be fasting. <laughs> Wash yourself up, tidy yourself up, spray on some perfume, walk in, open your eyes before you get in, and go in. Don't fast so that others can say, nobody fasts anymore. You fast? Who do you fast for? Why do you fast? There's two words that are used here. One is a description of the people who pray to be seen. They're called hypocrites. But it's really important we understand biblically what a hypocrite is. Because folks, I'm telling you, if a hypocrite is those people in this room who don't live up to that which they profess they believe, we're all hypocrites. Right. Of whom I am chief. There's all kinds of things. I believe that I believe that I believe that I don't sniff coming up, coming close to living into or living out of. A hypocrite in the Bible was a term that was used in the Greek world of a masked actor, one who is seeking to deceive others who's saying, yes, I believe these things, who wants to be seen, who wants to be praised. And in the end, that pursuit of others' deception leads to their own self-deception. Right. Now, let's be true. They started self-deceived, thinking they were fine, thinking it would be okay, presuming at that point it'd be fine to pull the wool over everybody else's eyes that they at least would believe I'm great. Yeah that they at least would see me, but it's rooted in others' deception, the deception of others, which is at its core rooted in self-deception. That's hypocrisy. We're going to talk about this in a minute because what's hard about deception, the seeking to deceive others, but ultimately self-deception is the fact that deception is deceiving. 
You don't know. We don't know unless we get down and consistently ask ourselves two fundamental questions. Why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Why am I posting this? Why am I going there? And then the second question, whom am I doing it for? The why and the who. Why am I doing this, saying this? Whom am I saying this for? In this section, the other word we have to focus on is this in secret. Give it in such a way that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. In a very real way, do it in secret. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and do it in secret. And your father who sees in secret will see you. When you fast, don't do it to be seen by others, but do it in such a way that your father sees in secret. What does this mean? Now, you need to understand the secret doesn't mean that the Christian faith, by Christian, I mean those who really press in and seek to follow Jesus. Christianity is not a private faith. It's true truth. It's the true story of the whole world. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. That's a public truth. What he's saying is that what we do in public, the motives of it, the intentions of it are revealed in private. The why and the whom you're doing it for cannot be falsified in secret. There's a guy named Robert Murray McShane who has a quote that when I heard it at probably 19, it stuck with me ever since. And he says this, who you are alone with God, that you are and nothing more. In the moments in secret, in the room, when you're totally quiet, you show whether or not you really believe this or whether you're doing it for the public praise of others. You show whether or not you're really doing it for God. That God, if nobody else, nobody else sees these. It has zero effect on the social fabric of our city. I'm doing it because it's right. I'm doing it because it's for you. I'm bringing it forth as an offering to you. Not to stand in church and raise my hands and say, look at me. God, I want you. Faith is proved real in secret. It will be, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, it has to be expressed in public. But the true motivation and intention of it will always be revealed of whether or not it's pure whether or not it's others directed, namely God, in private. There's a guy named Charles Spurgeon who once told a story of a king, a farmer, and a nobleman. He told a story about a king, a farmer, and a nobleman. He said this, once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in the land. One day, there was a gardener who grew an enormous, enormous carrot. When the farmer saw the carrot, he took it to his king and he said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown. It's the greatest carrot I ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you, my lord, as a token of my love and my respect for you. 
the king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as the gardener turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land so that you can have it freely as a gift and you can garden it all. It's yours. The gardener was amazed and delighted and he went home rejoicing. Now there was a nobleman in the king's court who watched this interaction take place and he thought to himself, if that's what the king gives for a carrot, what if I actually gave him some, something even better? So he went out to these horses and he got the best one, a black stallion, and he led the stallion to the king. And he said, king, my lord, I breed horses. This is the greatest horse I have ever bred and ever will breed. So he's repeating the man from the day before. I want to present it to you as my token of love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and he said, thank you, took the horse and dismissed the man. The nobleman was distraught, perplexed, and angry. The king saw him in his perplexing nature, in his anger, and he said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the, gardener was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. So let me ask you, when you give, are you giving the poor the gift? Or are you giving yourself the gift? When you praise in here, are you giving God the praise? Or are you giving yourself the praise? When you post on social media, do you really want our culture changed? Or do you want everybody to recognize and think that you want the culture changed? When you post a picture of the kids that are lonely, do you really care about the kids that are lonely? When you work at work, do you work hard unto the good of your clients or the good of your coworkers, or do you just want them to think you're a hard worker? Because folks, it matters. And it's not always easy to define, so you gotta ask questions. It's deceiving, right? How in the world do we get underneath our self-deception to understand what's really there? Here's two things very clearly. The first one is the word of God. In Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four says the word of God, who the Bible says, the word of God's like a two-sided a two -sided coin. It's Jesus and it's the Bible. It says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides bone from marrow. If any of you have ever heard about a bone marrow transplant, it's incredibly painful and has to be done with incredible precision. The word of God can pierce, it's so sharp, it can pierce to the division of bone and marrow, and then it says, it judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So this, folks, is absolutely essential if we're going to disrupt, like Jesus is trying to do, self-deception. The other one in the chapter before it in the book of Hebrews says, brothers and sisters, sisters and brothers, don't forsake gathering together. Don't forsake gathering together and gathering together in a diverse community, old and young, rich and poor, all types of ethnicities. Because if you do, you will be deceived because sin, it says you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But whether you gather in a community that makes the word of God central 
and there's other people's perspectives, they can go, hey, you're self-deceived. You think you're going on the right path, you're going on the right wrong path. You think you're justified in taking those steps, you're not. You think that's going to lead to life, it's going to lead to death. Don't forsake gathering together, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen to me. Sin is not an out there reality that's stagnant. It's a dynamic personal force as God told Cain, it's crouching at your doorstep. Its desire is to master you. And sin and Satan and his cronies, demons, are horrible masters. But Jesus is the greatest of the emancipators. It wasn't Abraham Lincoln, folks. It's Jesus. Your motives, our intentions matter. They matter in a four-dimensional way. There's two ways you can go, self or pure, true, into Christ, into relationship with him, and it has massive effect. In simple form, the reason I say four-dimensional is this. If you were going to break down human life, us living in God's world, which, by the way, is the only world we get to live in, okay? This is it. The life you're living in, the world you're living in, is the only world and life you get to live. Okay, if you broke it down, you'd say, well, I'm kind of interacting with four elements. I'm interacting with just the world, like the stuff of the world, their animals, right? My daughter goes outside and yesterday and she looks up, she's like, I don't like the bird on the roof. I'm like, babe, you're outside. You better get used to birds and insects. If not, you don't like the real world. Like just, you got to figure it out. I'm not telling you you have to eat it. I'm not telling you you have to hug it, but like you can't be freaked out by it. This is, so that's one aspect. You interact with the wider world. You interact with people all the time. And hear me on this, you were made to. So there's a social reality of the world. You know who else you interact with all the time? And you may feel cursed by it. Truth be told, you interact with yourself all the time. And then the thing so many of us don't recognize because sin's a reality is that you were made by and for God. Colossians chapter 1 tells us this, that God made everything, the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. And all of it was made by and for Jesus Christ. You were made for God. Therefore, you will never, 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 ever experience life in God's world the way God intended without God. Okay, that's impossible. So there are four-dimensional realities. If you want to choose the way of righteousness that's self, that's fake, or choose the way of God who made the world and made you, you will have either four-dimensional blessing, in this passage it's reward, which can go directly corresponding to the beginning of Matthew, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, the word means happy, reward, your father who sees you will reward you. Who's the rewarder? God the Father. Okay, realize that he will reward you, which rewarding I want you to see isn't just, well, when I die, I get the goodies, right? No, it's the abundant life in the here and now. It's the answering, the saving you from all of the things that haunt and horrify you, whether it's the saving of you from yourself, from your thoughts, from your psyche, from your past experiences, the things that save you from being self-absorbed and the stuff that you want so bad that you don't get. 
have, the saving you from the relationships that you go, keep dragging me down. He's all about the real stuff. When Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, it's not some life out there. It's life in the here and now, right now. You want to know why? Because this is God's world. This is my father's world. He made it. He made you. And he's saying to you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest and give you life to the full. So four dimensions. Let me break this down really quick. If you are stuck on self, which I'm telling you is the nature of sin. St. Augustine has one of my favorite images of sin. If you have an image that you leave with today, let this one stick with you. Sin is not just the bad things you do that God shakes his head at. It's not even all the stuff that you should do that you're not doing and God shakes you shaking his head at. Sin, Augustine said, is a radical not minor, a radical curvature inward. You were made to lovingly steward all the stuff of God's earth, but you now make it all about you. You were made to love your neighbor as yourself. Now you force your neighbor to love you as though you're king. You force your family to love you as king. You are meant to relate to yourself within others' relation, to find yourself in the life of God, in the life of somebody else. But now you go, I've got to find my life by looking at my life. So here's what happens. You take the stuff of the world that was meant to steward and to be a blessing and for you to find your life in that, and you rape and pillage it. You look at other people whom you were meant to consider their needs as more significant than your own, right? But you now say, you exist for me, and what happens? You're now all after the same stuff, mine, mine. And then you took it, wham, right? And then you hit me on my right cheek, I pound you in your nose. How does does a world function like that? And then if we lose ourselves in the midst of that, and we're always wondering why I can't find myself, why I hate myself, Why I don't live up to it? Why doesn't anybody like me? Why don't things go my way? Folks, the Bible's really clear, and it's really real. It's sin. Let me read you a passage in the book of James. The book of James, chapter 4. James is speaking about wisdom that comes from above. And he gets to this section. He says, what is it that causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Do we see quarrels and fights? Do we see them in our home? Do we see them with the people we love? Do we see them in the workplace? Do we see them in professional athletics? Do we see them on the streets? Do we see them inside our very bones and lives? Do we see them on social media? Okay, we do. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions, your motives, your intentions are at war within you? You desire things, but you don't have them. I want that, but I don't get it. You desire it, you don't have it, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you don't ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You ask to get stuff for you, to spend it on your own passions, to spend it on your own 
desires. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, hatred with God? Now, let me just break this down for a minute because this whole passage is about God. If you make friend with the world, with sin, and you curve in on yourself and you keep going at yourself and it's all about you and everybody's against me and it's all about me, you create enmity with God who the Bible says is life who is health, who is peace, who is abundant life, who is joy. Pick your path, folks. The path of self that leads to darkness and destruction, the path to God, which is a path to others that leads to life and life to the full. God means in his redemption is all about, yes, you experiencing life eternally with him forever. But it's all about the here and now. It's about psychological health. It's about relational health. It's about figuring out how to live as though this is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is fundamentally at its root about your life with God, who's the maker of all things the creator of everything you can see and that you can't see, and he wants you to live redemptively in harmony with all of it. Well, that's kind of pie in the sky, Tyler. What do we do then in a world with this amount of hostility, with this amount of hatred, with this amount of enmity, as the Bible says, when somebody does want to punch me in the face? Well, it was preached about last week, and you want to know what the answer is? The antidote to hatred... The antidote to self-absorption is selflessness, costly love. And we will never experience costly love unless we're rooted in the God who is love. You know, 1 John 4 says that. God is love. Jesus says to us, I come to give you life and give it to the full, but I'm the branch, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. The language of in, Paul, who's the author of most of the New Testament, uses the language of in Christ. Okay, think of that imagery. The branches, if you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul uses the language of being in Jesus 157 times in the New Testament. Here's what God's after with you. This is what this whole passage is about. Intimacy. He wants you to be in him and he in you. He looks at the Father when he's praying in John 17. He says, Father, make them one. As I am in you and you are in me, God, make them one in each other because they are one in me. What does it say in Colossians? Here, there is no barbarian. There is no Scythian. There is no slave. There is no free. Why? Because Christ is all and in all. Is that him saying you're not black and you're not Asian and you're not white and you're not rich and you're not poor? He isn't saying that. He's saying in Christ, we're one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of the pains that you have are our pains. Yeah. All the privileges that you have yes. are your privileges. Yes. But that all comes from his offer to you to say, be in me. Yes. Be in me and I in you that you may bear much fruit. That's the one, two, four, one, the one divinely designed way to pursue righteousness is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I've used a ton of language here 
to say that God's good. I'm trying to portray language of the Bible to say what the psalmist says, taste and see that God is good. So let me start by giving you one specific, simple example. If you're going, I don't even know what it means to be in Christ. Stay here. And when I say that, stay in this community. A community that takes the scripture seriously, that will walk you into Christ, and it's messy, and it's dirty, and it's dark. But in the midst of it, you watch your mess, and you're like, I'm a little, I've got a little more life in my step. I'm beginning to understand repentance isn't a scary word. And here's the truth for a bunch of you. There's all kinds of people out here that in the end, when I say the offer to you fundamentally affects everything, but the offer to you is do you want God? That's the offer. There's a bunch of people in this room going, I don't really know if I want God. Because truth be told, you don't really know if God is good. Even when the psalmist says taste and see that God is good, you're like, I don't really know if he is good. And when the word fathers used 10 times in this passage, there's a bunch of people in this room, they're like, I didn't even know my dad. Or I hate my dad. And I don't like that language. But I want you to know something. Every reason of why you can despise the word fathers because at its core, you know what it's supposed to be. That's why you're angry. Because you know what it's supposed to be. Everything you know it's supposed to be, God is. So when he says, pray like this, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, great are you, God. When he says that, in Luke chapter 11, he says this, go to God. He says, what good father, the father you know that's good, what good father, when a daughter asks him for bread, will give, him a stone, give her a stone. When she asks for fish, will give her a scorpion. None. And he says this, every good father wants to give and will give good gifts to his children. And then he says this, and how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now you go, what in the world does that mean? The book of Romans says this, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, will testify with your spirit. You want to know what the ultimate promise is? That you are, by God's actions, children of God. His spirit will testify with your spirit. You are mine. And how does God treat his children? How does he treat his son? This is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. God sings over you. If you believe in him in in Christ, he's singing over you. He dotes over you. Hear this as we leave. God loves you. At infinite cost to himself, at keep cost and cost and cost, he gives himself to you. God loves you. If you want to know how to love the world, you will never know love for the world until you experience the love of Christ. Let's pray. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.